Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's me, Robin. This is the Parenting After Trauma podcast. Super excited that you're just joining me again today. Really, really love that. Really love being with you. And today I have a friend, a colleague, just an amazing human with me today, Jessica Sinarski, who is a repeat guest. I haven't had a lot of repeat guests, but Jessica is one of them. She was on the podcast at the very beginning. And Today, Jessica's coming back to talk about her new children's book that's coming out and her thoughts about bringing the body into just seeing our kids and their behaviors, like really seeing them. I think that's what I really get the most when I look at Jessica's work and I see what she's putting out into the world is just this opportunity to really, truly see who our kids are underneath some of the behaviors that seem so easy to see. So Jessica, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Robin. I'm excited to chat again. Yes. Yes. It's always nice to have the opportunity to connect with you. I will tell you, I had um, lunch with Eileen or no dinner with Eileen Devine just two days ago, she's in town from way out of town. And so I feel like I'm having this or park week. (laughs) (laughs) I was with Eileen a couple of days ago. Now I get to hang out with you. And so (laughs) it's feeling very fun and relational week. So thanks for carving out this time. Yeah, my pleasure. So I want to dive in very quickly to, to Riley, but even before we go there, just give us a quick little summary of Jessica. Tell us. <laughs> so my, my professional life, my, my whole mission is to um, equip adults and empower kids, particularly in the aftermath of trauma. Um, but really beyond that, the more that we know about our bodies and brains, the better we can navigate um, relationships, mental health, you know, the world, communication, work, life, like all of the things. And so that's really my goal is to support um, and equip adults who are maybe um, parenting, working with, teaching kids, as well as creating resources that are kid friendly so that they can see themselves. I love that you said, you know, you feel like kids like can be seen yeah. in my work because what would happen a lot is I would see these miscommunications happening where kids were trying their very best to do whatever they knew how to do to survive, to relate to whatever. And parents and teachers and counselors were trying their very best to do everything they'd been taught. And everyone was having these misfires um, and, and miscommunications galore that left people hurting and, um, and, yeah, in, in just really profound ways. So that's, that's my mission. Yeah. You know, I don't feel like I run across too terribly many people. You're definitely one of them that I feel like can really straddle being a fierce advocate for both a child and their grownups. Yes. That so often it feels like we can really focus on like one or the other. And then you know, the other part of the equation gets a little bit lost. Yes. Um, And I know I work so hard. It's like, no, no, no. Like, but we can apply the same compassionate lens to both. And we can do it at the same time. Like we don't have to choose. And I think that must be another, I hadn't really thought about that before you just said what you said, but I think that's probably just another way that 
connects me and you that we're both, you know, so fiercely committed to that piece to really seeing, to seeing the kids, but to seeing their grownups too, because they're doing the very best that they know how to do in that moment as well. That's right. Exactly. And I think when we, when we leave either part out of the equation, you know, being the relational beings that we are as humans, we're really shortchanging ourselves. And that leaves us stuck in these silos that, um, that, that don't interact in the the ways that bring out the very best, you know? Absolutely. All right. So tell us about Riley. Let's just start with, (laughs) and I don't actually know if I even know the story about Riley and how Riley came to be. And then we'll look at this new book that's coming. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I have, I have worked in the, in the world of child welfare and and mental health and, and that kind of thing, my whole career. And, um, I had been actually digging in to a bunch of different resources to see like what the gap was in what was out there. I never want to just create more noise, um, but I felt like there was a gap partly in what you were just talking, what we were just talking about with um, the adult and the child and that, that miscommunication. And um, I was actually at the time thinking about working on a book for parents potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I, kept running into was these strategies, these ways our bodies and brains adapt um, to be, to, you know, be hide away like a chameleon or to um, roar like a tiger. Mm -hmm. And I was falling asleep one night and just had this picture in my head of a bear in a red cape Mm -hmm. with elephant parents and, um, and the name Riley, the brave. And so I turned my light back on, wrote it down on my little piece of chicken scratch by my, by my nightstand. And that was the start of, um, the Riley, the brave series at the time, you know, I fleshed out the story where I really wanted to honor the courage of survival um, being brave like a tiger and brave like a squirrel and yes. brave like a turtle, while um, also honoring the tremendous courage that it takes for kids to find new ways to be brave, to find new ways to relate. And so in the story, we see and another thing that was really, really important to me was not uh, was making it approachable for kids. So being a therapist, I've read lots of therapeutic books that I hate <laughs> but to find a point on it. Um, and so I wanted to make sure it wasn't a book like that would told all of the backstory and had all of the things that turn kids away, that it's just that Riley is a lot like his friends and sometimes he feels different. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's super relatable, even if you haven't had trauma in your past. And so the story sort of that's that introductory part. And then, um, you know, he was brave like a tiger and brave like a turtle. And now he's learning new ways to be brave. And, and then I did an afterword for grownups, again, straddling that, like empower the kid, empower the parent, empower the, the kid. Um, that talks a little bit about trauma in the brain and how to use the story, how to use the book, because it, um, because it can be hard for kids to get into if they have had those experiences. And so that's okay. Like play hide and seek with the frog in the story while you read it. Like it doesn't have to be intense, you know, making things safe and playful and all of that. So that, um, that was my first book and, um, it went really well. <laughs> there was, there was a good reception. <laughs> it is good for like all, all the reasons you just said, like one thing that is so u- unique and powerful about Riley is this truth that, that all of the ways Riley has figured out how to be in the world are brave. Mm-hmm. And it's so brave to risk considering finding new ways. It's a risk, right? Like it's so brave to risk that. Ooh. 
I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. robingobel.com slash start here. Yeah. And, you know, having done, you know, just like you, like lots of child therapy and lots of Mm -hmm. grown-up therapy Mm -hmm. that help. That's like the magic key. It feels like when kids and their grownups have a moment of like, oh yeah, both are brave. Like that was brave. And these behaviors, even though I don't like them at all, those behaviors are brave and risking finding something new is really brave. Um, So it's really remarkable that you can communicate that in this children's book. Yeah. Um, and I also just love it's a really good children's book because just like you said, I've lo- read lots of children's books <laughs> in the office. And you know that book, and we, you know, we we're both moms, and so we've read children's books to our kids too, yeah. where you're just like making it up as you're yeah. flipping the pages because yeah. there's just way too many words. Yes. That's the, yes. That's always the thing. It's like so I remember even saying that to you when I first read your newest book coming out is just like, it is so remarkable how you can clearly articulate everything you want to articulate without one extra word that's necessary. <laughs> There's no extra words. And having sat in that therapist's chair and yes. made up stories because there was just too many words in that yes. book. Yeah. I love that part too. We know, I mean, we know that the brain, especially with trauma, shuts down, you know, cognition shuts down, words become more limited as we, as we sink into, you know, fight or flight or collapse. And so that has been a real, a real priority with the Riley series in particular is to keep it um, as concise as possible and give some extra stuff for grownups in the back um, that kids don't need all of those words necessarily. They don't need all those words. And I also think finding ways to to talk about these different ways of being in the world with the language that's so totally neutral right mm-hmm. the, you know his um the turtle and the the you know it's all of right. these ways we can have shared language yeah. and language that isn't negative yeah. um i think is so helpful for the kids and the grown-ups yes so that has been something that I'm not sure if it's, I think it surprised me. It's now been so long that it's been happening that I, I, I remember um, being a little bit surprised at the beginning, how relatable that like having a turtle moment or having a tiger moment language is even for older kids or grownups. I did a workshop in a women's prison and, you know, was hearing like them use the language with each other because a lot yes. of them were there yes. for really big squirrel moments or exactly. really big tiger moments. Yes. Um, and so it just makes it safe, you know, within families, like the teenagers and the parents to yep. say like, Hey, when you have a tiger moment, I rec- like, I recognize that I want a turtle. I want to run to my room and hide away. So I'm working on being present, um, you know, and you're working on not swiping your claws at me and we're in this together. You know, that's, it's just so powerful to, to, to shift the perspective and the possibilities for the healing power of relationship to happen. Yes, I completely agree. I have a, you know, similar, but different model than you with my owls and watchdogs and possums, but I have the exact same experience that you do. That's like in the same, I didn't expect it, but the uh, grownups adopting the language for themselves and the way that even like, even as grownups were talking to each other, 
and using this language that can right. seem so you know young and childish, but in a way that's almost the magic that's right. of it. That's right. Because yes. we're hitting those, those primal parts of our brain and nervous system. Yes. And so that's one of the things that I love about, um, picture, like yeah. specifically picture books and imagery and, um, making it really tangible. Like you can feel what it feels like to, you know, want to play dead like a possum or yes. to curl up in your turtle shell. Yep. Um, that is, you know, I, I remember there was a kiddo I was working with lots of trauma and he had had a big, um, there had been a big physical altercation with his father, his adoptive father. And, you know, we were talking about it a little bit while we were moving around. Cause that's how that works. And it was not sitting in my office talking. It was, nope. you know, swinging <laughs> sticks at the water, at the puddles in the parking lot kind of yep. thing. And, um, and I said something about like, oh, and then you were so angry. And he was like, I was not, I was not mad. And I was like, oh no, okay, not mad, but you were maybe feeling like a tiger. Yes. Yeah. Like he couldn't say the feeling word, but he could feel what that felt like in yes. his body. And yes. okay, like exactly. great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then we can then we can dig into it a little bit more. But if I get hung up on, yes, you were, no, you weren't. <laughs> you <know>? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The way that we can, again, kind of sink into the body and think about sensations and the embodiment thing, I, I agree, can really provide a, a door in. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think also kids associate angry with being in trouble. So yes. they don't talk about being angry. Yes. Which is actually, so I know we're, we're mostly talking about the Riley, the Brave series, but the book that just came out this yes. summer yeah. is Hello Anger. Um, it is more words then the Riley books, like the, the backpack series that your magic backpack series has more words, but partly because I'm trying to equip school counselors yep. and, you know, not necessarily trauma brain yep. um, kinds of things. Um, but specifically, a, I, I wanted to create a book about anger that wasn't like, you know, count down from 10 and you'll be fine. Or, here are all the things not to do when you're angry, but more like anger is protective. Yes. Anger is telling us something. So yes. let's dig in yes. and see what it's trying to tell us. And so that's the, the sort of metaphor that's in the book is, you know, when anger flies out of your invisible backpack, there's always other books underneath shame or hurt or feeling different or, um, frustration, you know, um, and that it's not just kids that adults feel that as well, but how many of us were never taught that as grown ups? So, you know, still trying to straddle those, those two worlds, kids and their grown ups. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So then right. So let, was it two years ago? How many years ago did Riley go back to school? So Riley makes it to Riley, the brave makes it to school. Uh -huh came out just last year, just, just last, last summer. Year. Yeah. That's what I was thinking because it was like kind of right before a school year. Yeah. Still pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like still in the very messy times. Yes. Um, and that book, um, so I really value the, um, it's not even just a parenting model, but the model that Dan Hughes developed, um, yes. pace, pace, playful, accepting, curious, empathic, I just, I, I use it all the time in my private life and my professional life. And so I wanted to create a story where we see the elephants pacing Riley through his morning, mm -hmm. um, through a grumpy morning. <laughs> and, um, it was interesting as I was writing it because, um, so my writing process is sort of like a, like, it feels like a puzzle to crack. Like I have all these scraps of paper and different ideas and uh -huh. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to fit the pieces in that I want to go and what's the structure and, and all of that. And one of the things that I had sort of scribbled out for myself was like, you know, but it's pizza day or whatever, like something like that. And as I was digging in more, I was like, but no, like, that's not what Riley needs to hear. And, and I think it's so often where we go as parents and professionals is into fix it mode or convince, like, let me reason with you about why you do want to go to school. Yeah. And that's not how we reach that 
um, dysregulated nervous system. And so in the story, we see the elephants being playful, you know, singing songs about boring chores and um, and and accepting his big feelings. Like instead of saying um, instead of getting into a power struggle, which come on, we've all been there mm-hmm. um, as a mom of three, there are power struggles <laughs> aplenty. Yes. Um, but we see that, you know, Riley saying, I'm not going to school today. And the elephant saying, I get it. There are days, you know, I have a porcupine moment, just thinking about going to work and your teacher probably does too, you know, and that, that sparks curiosity and that makes it safe for kids to feel like they don't want to go to school and say it out loud to their safe, big critters. And, um, so, you know, the, spoiler alert, he, he does go to school. So, you know, hate to ruin that for you, but (laughs) he does make it. Um, and then the afterward is just, again, that user-friendly brain science for grownups, um, parents and teachers and counselors around what pace can look like in action and having some compassion for how hard it can feel in the moment to keep your, upstairs brain on to, you know, to stay regulated when you're faced with porcupine moments. Um, that, that makes sense. Of course, that's, of course, that's how you feel. Right. Um, so yeah, that was Riley, the brain makes it to school, which came out in June, I believe of last year. Yeah. I think that message of it's, it can be okay to, to recognize and validate negative feelings is so profound. Like it's just so profound. Um, and I, you know, I think there was probably even a moment in my own parenting and maybe some of those as my child got older, where I had to really be like, it's okay that he doesn't want to do these things. It's okay Mm -hmm. that he tells me he -hmm. doesn't want to do these things. Mm -hmm. It's okay. If he does them grumpily, Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of those things are okay. Cause you know, I don't joyfully do all the things I don't want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So allowing space for, I don't want to, or just whatever the negative feeling right. is. And right. as parents to trust, I think it's so brave, especially if we think about how so many of us were raised mm-hmm. so brave to, to risk that moment of saying like, it's okay that you feel that way. Yeah. When ultimately, of course, all of our have, all of us have the goal that our kid makes it to school, for example, right. or takes right. out the trash or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And there's this way that we learned that somehow we should just do everything we don't want to do joyfully. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's okay mm-hmm. to not want to do things, express you don't want to do things. And then figure out a way to do them anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I love that message getting communicated there in that, yeah. in that book. So now Riley has a big new adventure. <laughs> so tell us about Riley's new adventure and just the origins of this, like what prompted you to, to know that this was what Riley needed next. Yeah. So the coming, coming soon, Riley the Brave's Sensational Senses mm-hmm. is Riley's next adventure, and um, it, it digs in a little bit to sensory processing, um, but in that same Riley super kid-friendly way. Um, my journey with sensory processing or understanding more about the senses started sort of simultaneously, personally, and professionally at the same time, where I was learning more and more. I don't think the senses were ever mentioned in graduate school. I don't think I heard a a word about the senses. And um, so I was in, I was probably, you know, five or eight years into, into practice and was working with some kiddos who had some big behaviors and a colleague was saying, gosh, this sounds like there might be some sensory stuff going on and um, dug a little further and got them connected with an occupational therapist and then made the connection that the same meltdowns that were happening with my son um, seemed to have some of those same sensory red flags. Yeah. Um, he, he was sitting at his little preschool table with his teacher that he felt very safe with, like just a lovely preschool teacher. And she said she was encouraging everybody to like draw a house and he burst into tears um, and come to come to find out the, you know, motor planning of how to draw what was in his very creative little brain and 
but bring it all the way down from the brain <laughs> through the arm to the fingers and onto the paper was just way too much for his overloaded sensory system. And so we started some occupational therapy. I started reading everything I could get my hands on. And man, once you put on that sensory lens, it changes so much of what um, what we see in kids' behavior, especially related to some of those, um, some of the like big meltdown or like rambunctious behaviors mm-hmm. and the maybe defiant behaviors where, where this sensory system is um, just sending them straight into fight or flight. Um, like, you know, coming to the dinner table is, you know, the, the amygdala is like, danger, danger, danger. You're not going to like this smell or taste. It's going to kill you. Right. And their body and behavior respond accordingly. But I'm left as the mom being like, well, geez, like I just made dinner. Like what, what are we doing now? I have to fight you to eat the dinner. I already didn't want to make the dinner. <laughs> what are we doing? Exactly. <laughs> yes. um, so because over the last 10 years, I've just seen how big of a difference putting on that sensory lens can make. Yeah. I wanted to share that in a um, non-shaming, non-blaming, non-pathologizing way um, to hopefully help get it out into the mainstream a little bit more. Yes. Yes. So yeah, the book does such a lovely job first of helping Riley and then of course the reader even understand like senses. Right. What is what does that mean? Which basically right. means everything, right? Like the whole, everything about life is how we've, we're processing through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So I talk about the brain all the time. Um, but it, it, one of the things that is really important for folks to understand is that the brain is getting its information from outside, mm-hmm. inside and in between. Mm-hmm. Right. So Um, from our five external facing senses, the things that we learned about in preschool, sight and sound and taste and touch and those things, but those hidden senses, the proprioceptive sense, the vestibular sense, um, and even interoception, those are such profound parts of feeling safe and in control, feeling regulated. And so the way that I talk about it in the book, um, you know, there's a, there's an occupational therapist, Calico cat um, <laughs> named Miss Lena. And, um, and she explains it in just this really um, gentle user-friendly way of, you know, our senses try to work together to keep us safe and help us enjoy the world, but they can get sort of out of whack. And so my illustrator was able to make a visual for each of those seven senses. We, we kept interoception for the afterward because it's just too much Um, for those seven senses. And then an image of what they might feel like when they're overwhelmed. And I just love that juxtaposition. Um, And some of the kids who have read it, even before it's come out, that has been really powerful for them because it's a a bit of the like that's what it feels like um reaction that um that is just so encouraging and give again gives gives a language to these things that feel so life-threatening um you know and you're like it's just sunlight or it's just a tag on your shirt or it's just dinner but that's not how their body is interpreting it. That's not how their brain is experiencing it. One of my favorite things about books in in general is I I always think like, if somebody wrote a book about this, that means enough people in the world are having this experience. And that's a very cognitive thought for my grown-up brain to have, but I think that's communicated so implicitly in books to kids that like, like, like me, I'm here in this book. Yeah. like somebody knows me well enough. And then that sense of, so I couldn't possibly be alone. And so powerful. It's so it's, powerful. It's part of why representation matters so much in children's yeah. literature to not feel alone and different. Um, yes. And so while this is animals instead of humans, part of the very specific reason that I did that with Riley was to make, to allow kids to, yeah. um, 
put themselves in it, whatever their situation. Yeah. As I scroll through this book and I remember this from when you sent me like some of the proofs before too, like I love the, like the zoom in moments, like those little, like how your illustrator did, you know, like, like the one I'm looking at right now is like the marker was too loud on the chalkboard and and it's like, there's these big pictures, but then these like really zoomed in yeah. that feel like I just reading it, give me that sensation yeah. of like zooming right in, which right. is the experience of having an overwhelmed sensory experience, right? Like it just feels right. so focused. So like, it's the only thing you can see. It's so big. It's so present. Yeah. yeah. It makes me think of, um, so with one of my boys, he was like pretending something like just playing around and he had stuck a, a long strip of foam out the back of his pants to be like a tail and, mm-hmm. um, you know, was doing something. And then, um, he sat down to, I think it was to play Legos. It wasn't even like a hard task, but, uh-huh. um, and a couple minutes later, he sort of ripped the thing out of the back of his pants and was like, ah, now I can concentrate. Like all he could experience was that zoomed in, you know, like his little sensory system was like life threat, danger, right. danger. There's foam on your back. And you're like, how is that? Like, how is the seam of your socks or the tag on your shirt or that sound, or, you know, the fact that you haven't bumped into something in the last five minutes, how is that life threat? How is that right. danger? And yet um, when we can accept the, that experience in the kid and help them gain insight into themselves, it is so powerful because then they don't feel weird for it or oversensitive or, you know, whatever, like all of the negative junk that we, we put in our own stories. I think that's the other reason Another reason I'm very passionate about helping people understand the senses. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, maybe you need to jump on a trampoline or get squished under 27 pillows, and um, maybe you need steamrollers before you can do your homework. Yeah. Okay, like yeah, exactly. let's do that. Perfect. <laughs> do you need four pieces of gum to chew on? As long as it's not a choking, like as long as you have right. enough motor control that that's not a choking hazard, right. do it you know, figure out what works for you. We all naturally do that as adults. Um, you know, the work environment that works for you, you know, the music you can listen to or not, but it's so much harder for us to work around that as kids, partly because, you know, legitimately we are trying to teach them how to go with the flow. Sometimes that is an important upstairs brain skill and we can do it with compassion for, what their experience of going with the flow in that moment is. Yeah. I think that part's so important that like helping adults see how like we have so much power and control in our lives that all of our sensory needs, we just are making adaptations and then we're not even noticing and mm-hmm. that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's so mm-hmm. much fear. That's like, if we don't fix this, they're going to keep doing it when they're an adult. It's like, per- like, okay, cool. So let's help them find this like socially acceptable way to do this because we're all doing it and there's nothing wrong with it. We're all just unique and getting, you know, our sensory needs and preferences met all the time. Yeah. 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 And learning to feel and deal when something's a little off, like we all have times when, um, when that's going to be the case and that's okay, but you can't, it's not really possible to go from, like no control to that, that insight that kids can gain is such an essential part of recognizing even that, okay, this is the moment that I need to feel and deal. I need to, you know, I'm going to be a little cold or this is a, this is a loud situation and here are adaptations I can make and here are some that I can't. And so I know afterwards I'm going to need some quiet or like, we, we make those adjustments. And, um, I think it's so powerful, especially when we're not forcing these things on our kids. So I think one of the other things I was trying to communicate in both the story and the afterward is a lot of, um, just open-ended curiosity with kids around these things, as opposed to, 
having an agenda where we're going to try these six things um, in a forceful way. No, no, no. Like, let's let's be curious together about what your experience of this is. And um, and that allows kids to have some take some ownership and gain some of that self-reflective ability that we so desperately want, especially for brains that have been impacted by trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. It's making me think too, um, that if I can see that the behavior, which we can just agree is not great, Mm -hmm. but is being driven by this other thing, then it helps me depersonalize it. Mm -hmm. It helps the child depersonalize it. Like they're not a bad kid, you know, makes me, my husband wears hearing aids Mm -hmm. and, um, he's pretty profoundly deaf. Like he needs them all all day long. And when there is, sometimes they need adjusted, like they just are electronic devices. They need adjusted. And, um, when they aren't working quite right Mm -hmm. and his auditory sense system is therefore impacted by that, right? Like it's pulling in too much information or it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, taking out what is not needed or Mm -hmm. whatever, like he's too bombarded or they're not amplifying enough. So he has to work too hard Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. hear. Mm -hmm. And these are just like his normal way of being like, he doesn't necessarily even notice. Like he doesn't have Mm -hmm. this cognitive moment of like, I'm working really hard to hear right now or I'm overloaded. Right. But eventually Mm -hmm. maybe one of us will be like, wondering how your hearing aids are working right now because you can of course see increased irritability yeah. right when you're when your sensory system is not working right you feel bad like you physiologically yep. feel bad yeah and it's yep. so easy to to label that in so many different kinds of ways yep. that yes yes yeah. and and i think again that's that power um, of, of make, of normalizing our various senses and, um, and our experience of the sensory world. Um, I went to, I, I lived in New York city for, um, a number of years out right out of grad school. And I love the pulse of the city. Like that really works for me, matches my energy. I love the different languages being spoken all around me. And, um, And I had gone to the show Stomp, which many, many people have seen. And I had this dream from like maybe before my children were born of taking them to Stomp. Like I just really wanted to take my kids to Stomp. And we finally did it. This past summer, we were able to go to Stomp and I was sitting Uh next to my eight-year-old and there was a, um, I mean, there's lots of drumming and banging and and sounds. There was one that that I felt in my heart in a really lovely way. Like it Uh just, it's sort of like, like, you know, that feeling, um, my son kind of pulled on my, um, my shoulder a little bit. And he's like, mom, that drum is messing with my senses. It was giving him, it was, it was throwing off his vestibular system. It was making his like movement balance system feel out of whack. He had words for it. We sort of, we squished the top of his head. You know, we did a couple of things to like help bring some regulation. He's like, okay, I think I'm good now. And that was it. It didn't turn into melting down or hiding behind me or running out of the theater, um, all of which would be possible with my son. Totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he he in that moment had some had some language for it in a way that then I could help. And so yes. that's really one of my big hopes with putting this book into the world is um, normalizing and giving some language, some some power um, yeah. to kids and their grownups around what the heck is going on in our brains and bodies. Right. Well, and he knows he's not a bad kid because when you freak out in a theater and run out of the you know, theater, first of all, it's usually not like an isolated experience. These are mm-hmm. usually like behavioral challenges kids have mm-hmm. repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And frankly, grownups are regularly annoyed with those mm-hmm. behavioral problems, which makes sense that the grownups yeah. are annoyed with yeah. them. But all over time, what kids learn from the looks on the grownups' faces or the tone of their voice is like, I must just be a really bad kid. Right. And so to be able to have that moment of, 
like my body doesn't feel quite right because of something mm-hmm. that's happening in the environment. Mm-hmm. And even if I don't necessarily have the words like your son did to, to change what my, you know, like ask for help, get needs met, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. the, you know, behavior changes even before it gets to that point. I, I mean, even before that level of awareness and ability mm-hmm. to ask and change, you know, cause that's a process it doesn't happen overnight. hundred percent. We've been working hard on this for a lot of years. (laughs) Even before that, there's still a moment of like, oh, it's not because I'm just Mm -hmm. bad. There's something going on with my body. And I also think it gives kids so much hope. And that's been what I've felt in the therapy room too. Sometimes parents are afraid it gives kids excuses. And I'm like, you know, sometimes it does in the short term, but that's just a phase. After that, what I think it does is give kids so much hope that's like, Oh, I can name this thing. Yep. That means I probably can learn how to manage it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so powerful and it makes me so one of the things um Riley does in the story with the help of his grown-ups yes. is make a sensational plan for yes. feeling safe and in control. Yes. And so part of the lead up to to going to stomp with my son yep was knowing we were going to have a busy day in New York City. It's not necessarily his jam. Food in particular, you know, his nervous system interprets as threat um, a lot. And, and so we packed, a, packed some food to bring to the restaurant that night. There, there have certainly been times in my life, there are times to work on the food comfort and, you know, exploring new food options and all of those things. But that moment was a time to give him a sensory experience that was familiar and safe. Exactly. And then he was more able to have these other sensory experiences around him that were unfamiliar and that his senses might interpret as danger. Um, and, and it was super helpful. You know, I felt I, I have had other instances where I'm like, no, you know, we shouldn't do that. And, Again, there, there are times, there are times to work on it and there are times to let it go. And I'm just so grateful that, um, yeah, that I had the peace to let it go. And I think that helped set him up for success. Well, it sounds almost a little bit like when I'm with this, it's, I keep saying my favorite part, but they're all my favorite parts, I guess. I just <laughs> like them a lot. They delight me is, you know, Riley does get this big plan and yeah. it's very thoughtful and very intentional. And he still struggles. Ding, ding, ding. And when I, I mean, that's probably the part when I, again, when I like got, had the opportunity to like proof, you know, like read it ahead mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. That even though everybody made this plan, yep. Riley still struggled. And, right. and it also wasn't the end of the world, like, mm-hmm. but it didn't fix everything. It wasn't this mm-hmm. magical, mm-hmm. um, you know, this magical fix where now, you know, it was just all perfect, right? but everybody could kind of see and look at what was happening and then find ways to help him feel a little bit better. And I just love that part. In, in that part in particular, toward the end of the, the story, there's one page that has a few more words than I typically like on a uh-huh. Riley page. Uh-huh. Um, but I felt like it was so important to keep all of them, in, including there's a part where the elephant says, you know, something like, if you don't want to go on the ride, that's fine. Yep. If you do, I think you have a plan, you know. Yeah. Um, I thought that was also important because... Yes you know, with the social norms and, and all of those things, I think empowering our kids to make choices for themselves in situations is important. If he doesn't go, want to go on the tilt a whirl or whatever it is, he like, that's okay. Even if all your friends love it and you don't, that's okay. You know? Yeah. We all like different things. Yes. Yes. And if you want to go, then I think you have a plan. Like it's both. And it it doesn't have to be either or. Um, And I just think that weaving more and more of that into our language and our, our work, our experience is, is so powerful. I agree. I adored this book. I know I told you that when I had the opportunity the first time to check it out, it was just like, 
You know, when you know when people ask you to to look over your stuff and read your stuff, you sort of have this moment of crossing your fingers, like, I hope it's good. Cause mm-hmm. I really don't want to tell my friend or my colleague that it's not. <laughs> I do. I know that feeling from both sides of exactly. the like the butterflies in my totally. stomach to turn it over. <laughs> totally. And then the like, you know, will you review this? And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Exactly. Nice job, question mark. (laughs) It's very vulnerable. It sometimes creates a little bit of awkward moments. Um, And just reading through this book and being like, this is perfect. Hmm. Like, perfect. It's my favorite one. I mean, they're all brilliant and Riley and everything about him and how you've, you know, created a way for kids to conceptualize and they're grownups mm-hmm. to conceptualize mm-hmm. these things and, and not just a non-shaming way, but a way that we can love them. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think right. that's one step past non-shaming that's hard to come to, but eventually I do think it's an important place to come to. Um, but then the thought and care that you put into this book and then making it also just so real. I mean, really when he went to the carnival or whatever it was, and, and he still struggled, I was like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for me. Cause we know, so we know real. Yeah. So thank you for just oh, what you do in the world. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's important. And it's, um, it's just fun to have the people, you know, these people out there that are, doing similar things and excited by the same stuff. Otherwise it just feels big and hard and lonely. So that's right. Thank you for what what you do. And I'm really excited to meet you. I know. Can you believe that we have it? That's so It feels very funny. I'm excited about that too. There's so many relationships I have now. I was like, I cannot believe I've never met this person in real life, but we have never met in real life and we get to soon. And yes, very excited. It'll be quite lovely. (laughs) All right. Well, tell everybody where they can find all the Riley stuff and then specifically um, this new book. Sure. So um, the landing page for pre-ordering the book, which gets you a free resource bundle that is really useful for parents, teachers, professionals, the whole gamut. Um, If you go to rileythebrave.org, forward slash senses. That is the place to go before September 21st. Um, So you can take advantage of that. And then you can find all things Riley the Brave currently on that rileythebrave.org site, but there is a website switcheroo coming in October. Um, If you sign up for updates at rileythebrave.org, we'll make sure that you're in the loop about, about the change. Um, I also want to mention, I have a blog over on bravebrains.com. If you just do forward slash blog, it'll take you right there. There's a lot of resources there for school community professionals, um, to just make use of all of this, um, all of this wonderful knowledge in really practical ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'll make sure all of these get hot linked in the show notes. People can click right on them. Also tell us really briefly about the professional program, the professional training program. You have oh, professionals, so sure. many professionals listening. So I want to, yes. I want to hear so, what you do. <clears throat> I, I am so excited about this. Um, so I, I run a like CEU course virtually where we meet together for about an hour on zoom, but you're also reading the book, um, the Neurobiology of Attachment Focused Therapy by John Balin and Dan Hughes. And um, what I get to do is sort of bring it to life and um, give some highlights and practical things and how it looks in action and help you figure out how it can look for you in action. Um, And so I've been running that now for several years. Mm -hmm. The next cohort will start in January. So if that's something that's interesting to you, be sure to sign up for updates on bravebrains.com. Um, there's a community providers page that'll give you a little bit more information. It's just the, the feedback that I've had from professionals that have gone through it consistently is like, this is a game changer. I see my case work differently. Like I use this in everything I do. Um, so I, I really, I feel like have, uh, we have found the sweet spot of how to bring this stuff to life in a way that's, that's rich and meaningful. So I'm sure. And I also know several people who have gone through it and have just (laughs) said it was fantastic. So yay! thank you. Thanks for your time today. Again, thank you for what you're doing for kids and families and 
I'm going to see you next month. I know. And I am really glad to be in it together with you and with all of the people listening. Um, It is, yeah, we're just such relational beings that we need each other desperately. And I agree. So thank you. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash beingwith, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.